0: finish up this section in Mark's gospel. Um, There was something I was going to remind you of, and I totally blanked on it. Well, such is life. Children, uh, are you guys taking them down? Huh? Okay. If there are any children, you're welcome to uh, disperse. We're not disperse. go that way. Don't disperse, please. That's stressful. Um, please stand as I read Mark chapter three verses 20 through the end of the chapter, verse 35, and hear the word of the Lord. <clears throat> and he came home, and the crowd gathered again, to such an extent that they could not even eat a meal. When his own people heard of this, they went out to take custody of him, for they were saying he has lost his senses. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying he is possessed by Beelzebul, and he casts out demons by the ruler of the demons. And he called them to himself and began speaking to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. If Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but he is finished. But no one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. Truly, I say to you, all sins shall be forgiven the sons of men and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin, because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Then his mother and his brothers arrived and standing outside, they sent word to him and called to him. A crowd was sitting around him and they said to him, behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Answering them, he said, who are my mother and my brothers? Looking about at those who were seating, or seated around him, he said, Behold my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the light of the world. The light who gives light in some sense to all, but the light who gives light To those who trust in you we pray that you would now illuminate holy spirit that you would come and open our eyes and unplug our ears and decalcify our hearts where we are calloused and hardened lord would you rescue us lest we turn away eternally help us to turn toward you not away from you this morning as we hear your word. And Father, I now pray that whatever proceeds from this mouth that is not of you would fall to the floor and remain unheard, for the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Lord Jesus, you said heaven and earth may pass away, but your word will never pass away. So would you speak to us? Father in heaven, speak, please. Your children are listening. Have mercy in the name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. So Jesus has, if you remember where we were about a couple of weeks ago, uh, Jesus has called the 12, uh, 12 disciples who become apostles, whom he appoints to be with him and to preach and to go out and cast out demons. He's just had an interaction with the crowds earlier in chapter 3 where you have this crowd of great geographical and probably ethnic diversity that that converge upon Jesus in a way um, simulating what would happen at Jerusalem during one of the feasts and now people are gravitating towards Jesus rather than simply just the temple foreshadowing that Jesus would be the sort of fulfillment of the temple. And now we have him arriving again after going up on the mountain, calling the 12 apostles to himself. He arrives back home or back to a house. Again, this is probably Capernaum, and this is probably uh, Peter's mother-in-law's house. I tracking? Okay. Probably, it's a it's a semi-educated guess, uh, and he, and the crowd once they hear that he's there, everyone swarms back to Jesus. Uh, they they swarm back. I remember uh, our first Christmas together. We may, we began this tradition, Sarah Beth and I. We began this tradition of making um, a uh, a gingerbread house, which we still do, but we used to make it. And then we would go down to Charleston to see her parents for Christmas and everything. And we left it, our first one, uh, our first Christmas, our first house, we first Christmas and we left it. And when we returned uh, a little less than a week later, uh, part of the house was obscured in black. And I didn't know what had happened, but is all of these little sugar ants. They had discovered it and there was a sugar ant trail from this great bounty, could you imagine the, the hordes of, they were so excited when they found this, who, what, what knucklehead left this out? Anyway, and they, there's a stream down our wall and under a crack and out the back door to somewhere they were dragging this slowly, piece by piece, this gingerbread house. So now when we go out of town, the gingerbread house meets the trash can and the sugar ants are deprived. But they, they swarm just like those sugar ants. They they, they had heard something of Jesus. They had experienced something in Jesus. They'd seen a miracle performed by Jesus. And the crowds gravitated towards Jesus. Uh, and this is something that is, is, shows up throughout Jesus' ministry, where crowds gravitate to Jesus. And as I mentioned a, few, a couple of weeks ago, crowds are simultaneously uh, pools of great opportunity, but also they present great hindrance. They can present great hindrance... And they can present simultaneously great opportunity. And so often when Jesus is doing his, if you will, his most in-depth teaching work, his most focused uh, equipping times, they are with fewer people. He He has the 12, and then from the 12, you know, it shrinks down to the three. And he has a sort of peculiar, particular relationship with even Peter and John in the midst of that. And so Jesus focuses on... Uh, people, but he, he deals with the crowds, but they all gather together. But something happens here that is very strange. This crowd that has, there's something attractive about Jesus, but what we see in the rest of chapter three isn't necessarily opportunity, but we see more opposition than opportunity. That wherever Jesus goes, there are crowds, and wherever Jesus goes, there is gospel, kingdom, opportunity. But there is also always opposition. That the kingdom plan and work of Jesus always, always, always dries up or stirs up opposition. And here it comes from an expected source and an unexpected source. It comes from an expected source, the scribes from Jerusalem, But it also comes from an unexpected source, his own family. When his own people or his own, his kinsmen, his kinspeople, heard about this great crowd that was so pressing in upon Jesus that he was unable to eat, that he and his disciples were unable to eat even a meal. They said he's lost his senses. A good way of sort of making that colloquial is say he's gone crazy. He's lost his mind. Can you see all these people? He can't even crack open the Quaker Oats for breakfast. Maybe you're an oatmeal person. I don't know. I'll put it in a smoothie today. And they think he's lost his mind. And these are his people. They have some peculiar, particular relationship with him. These are probably the same people who are trying to drag him out of the house at the end of the chapter. His mother and his brothers. Now, there's something to be said about the the curiosity of Mary, where she she knows, if you guys were here Christmas Eve, I have not heard the end of Henry. Um, If you weren't here, I got heckled by my three-year-old from the second row. Um, He said, Dad, Daddy, that's not funny. Um, and he, every now and then he'll just needle it with me again. And I'm like, bro, just chill out. <sighs> but his own family there is probably the ones who are trying to get him out of the house at the end. Uh, so it's probably his, his mother and his brothers. So Mary is in this tension of knowing who Jesus is, but not quite understanding everything that Jesus is doing. I don't know who can sim- uh, you can sympathize with that or not. I certainly can. But uh, so he, they, they think he's gone crazy. And then you have the scribes who come down from Jerusalem saying, no, he's actually casting out demons. They're acknowledging that he's doing something, but he's doing so by the prince of demons, Beelzebul, which is another name for Satan, for the adversary. And it made me think of a, a quote, which I'm, I was going to read, but I'm not going to read. But it's in this book. It's in C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity and in this edition, it's on page 52, chapter. Well, it doesn't matter. Um, but he basically says, you can't have Jesus as simply a moral teacher. You can't have Jesus simply as a moral teacher. I think another way of saying that is that you can't have Jesus on your terms. You can't take in the things of Jesus that are uh, palatable to you, things that are that, yes, that meets my approval, and then sort of shuck to the side the things that are unpleasant to you. That you don't get to pick and choose Jesus. Jesus is, and Jesus says, and Jesus does. And so if we were simply to say, uh, Jesus is not actually who he says he is, uh, but he continues to say that he's the son of God, he's doing all of these works of miracles, then what the kind of, the, the outline that Lewis uh, lays out there in, in, in chapter, on page 52 of this book, Mere Christianity. He says, either Jesus is a liar, Jesus is a lunatic, or Jesus is Lord. And this passage really made me think of it. His family thinks he's a, lo- a lunatic. The scribes are telling, saying that he's a liar, just like the father of lies. And then you have these few who are sitting and hearing who are a part of this new community that Jesus is forging who consider him or will consider him as Lord. The disciples and the apostles included, save Judas. So he's a lunatic. You've done lost your mind. Delusions of grandeur, all of these crowds, and you think that you should teach them being a carpenter's son from living in a back, born in a backwater town of Bethlehem, living in a backwater town of Nazareth. You think you're something. And then you have the scribes who are so... Rabidly opposed to Jesus that they ascribe to him satanic, not only satanic motivation, but satanic power. That their opposition to Jesus, their resistance to him and their opposition against him has reached such a point that they are willing, they are willing to willfully. Blind their eyes and harden their hearts to the point of saying all of these good things that Jesus is doing. All of the the deliverance, all of the healing, all of the power, all of the gospel teaching, kingdom preaching, all of those things are actually not sourced by the Holy Spirit, which they are, but rather they're sourced by a demonic, satanic spirit. Spirit. See, dear ones, you can't have Jesus on your own terms. And if you call Jesus a lunatic long enough, you're going to call him a liar long enough that your heart is going to grow hard enough that you will never repent and trust in him. In a heart that is so hardened, so desirous that Jesus would not be who Jesus actually is. As to say, he's doing these things by Satan's finger rather than the finger of God. It's what Jesus says of his miracles. If I do this by the finger of God. But if we so ascribe to Jesus malicious intent. Or begin believing that Jesus is simply he's got it half right. He's one of the great moral teachers of Human history. He's like the Buddha, or the Dalai Lama, or I don't know somebody. I don't know fill in the blank. Gandhi, right? That he's some he's some good moral teacher. He's teaching these uh, these things, but he's got this component of him that we just need to leave aside. We need to take these things that are palatable and proper and appropriate for our cultural moment. And we need to shuck all of that other stuff aside. If you continue to treat Jesus like that. Not only will you call him a liar and a lunatic, but you will find yourself on the butt end of the judgment of God. And eventually on the barrel end of the judgment of God. But Jesus began, before I get into the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which I want to get into. Jesus begins interacting with the scribes when they are maligning him, calling him the, he's doing it by the, by Satan himself. He's doing all these things. And Jesus has this famous right of the kingdom is divided. How can it stand? It shows up in in American history and it shows up oftentimes in, uh, in just conversation. People don't really understand where the source is. But he has this very curious phrase or sentence in verse 27, saying, if you think I'm doing these things, if I'm healing people and I'm raising people up and I'm preaching the gospel, if I'm doing this by Satan's hand and Satan's house is divided. But verse 27, but no one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first binds the strong man And then he will plunder his house. Who's the strong man there who's getting his house plundered? Satan. And notice that Jesus calls Satan's dominion a kingdom. And what we have, and we've mentioned this before, but you have a collision. You have a collision of rightful king, rightful kingdom with a nefarious wicked king in a wicked kingdom who has set up shop over a people and on a planet that does not ultimately belong to him. Satan is the strong man who is binding people. <clears throat> he's not just binding their bodies, he's binding their minds. Second Corinthians 4.4 four says that he is actively blinding the eyes of the unbelievers. That Satan is prowling around like a lion seeking whom he may devour, the Apostle Peter writes. That he's here trying to take hold of that which doesn't belong to him. He is not a king, he is a usurper. He is a usurper, but he has dominion. And it's a dominion that has been in God's providence entrusted to him. He's allowed to exercise it. Maybe a better way to say it. He's allowed to exercise this dominion for a time. But with the entrance of the son of God, you have the beginning. If you, if you're a Marvel Avengers fan, you have the beginning of God's end game. Here we have the seed of the woman who is going to strike the head of the seed of the serpent. Genesis three 15 we have the great culmination of the conflict between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent that flows throughout all of human history and all of Bible history. This enmity at between godliness and wickedness between God's covenant purposes and Satan's sinful ends. And he's couching this conversation on those terms it is a parable, so it's very subtle. But if Satan is the strong man, then Jesus is the stronger man who has come into this house to plunder that which has been held under Satan. So you have Jesus who is the rightful king, who is the greater king. Right, he has no rival. Satan is not on his Level of being. Jesus alone is the son of God and God alone is God. But Christ came to break the white knuckle grip of Satan over this world. You understand by white knuckle? you ever if you've ever driven, I'm not going to name any names. white knuckle that, you got that bar and your white knuckle in it. Holding on tight and Satan was grasping He's grasping at the hearts and the minds of the unbelieving. He's grasping at the dominion and the power of this world. That's why when he tempts Jesus, he says, bow before me and I'll give you all of this. That he's the prince of the power of the air. That he, he has a certain dominion, a certain rule for a time. And what Jesus is doing is that he slips beneath the cracks and he's peeling one finger back at a time demonstrating that He is the more powerful one. He is the stronger one, and those who belong to Jesus will not finally and ultimately rest in the hands of Satan. They will finally and ultimately rest in the hands of God, delivered there out of one hand into the other by the power of Christ and Christ alone. He is the stronger man. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, Paul says in Colossians 1.13 and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. He's delivered us from darkness, the grip, the iron yoke of sin, Satan, and death. And He's brought us into the blessed freedom of service to Christ. He is the stronger man who binds and plunders Satan and his house. And dear ones, this is what Christ is doing now. Christ is doing this. Now, Jesus says, now is the ruler of this world cast out. Now, Jesus is up to this business now. This is not just what he's going to do at the end of the age. There will be a full blossoming of the crushing of Satan and the victory of Jesus at the second coming of Christ. But now, the tomb stands empty. The spirit is empowering Jesus' church. And he continues to call people out of darkness into light. This very day this is what the stronger man the sovereign of the universe is up to he has won the battle and he's breaking the back of the prince of darkness let's look at a couple places that have they've been resting in my mind Uh, i read this i think last week so double dose hebrews 2 i'm just going to hit reference it read it and move on Hebrews 2, 14. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, this is the Son, Jesus, likewise partook of the same, that through death, now listen, through death, he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil. So that Jesus somehow, through his death, he neuters Satan. How cool is that? How awesome is Jesus. He he renders him powerless. The one who thought he could take heaven's throne. The one who leverages sin and death over people. Made powerless through what means? That through death. Remember, Remember Genesis 3.15 real quick. I'm going to put enmity, God says there in the garden. To to the serpent, cursing the serpent, I'm going to put enmity between your seed and the seed of the woman. He shall, the seed of the woman, shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So Jesus' death is that heel bruise from which he arises three days later. But the crushing blow to Satan there at the cross where Jesus subverts the very kingdom and the very power that Satan held over us, where death is taken away and life is given in its place, he renders him powerless who once had the power of death and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. All right, 1 John 3.8. The second part. I'm not going to get into everything there. Um, But the Son of God... 1 John 3, 8b, I guess. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. He appeared for this purpose, purpose to destroy the works of the devil. Here we have, and there's I could take you other places in Scripture. We don't have time. But here we have the stronger man binding and plundering the strong man. And this is what Jesus is currently doing. And if you are bound in sin and death, If you are far from your maker, you you know it. Then you need to know that the powers that are over you, that you are not the captain of your ship. You are in fact enslaved to sin and Satan. But there is one who can deliver and there's only one. And his name is Jesus. Verse 28, truly I say, all sins shall be forgiven the sons of men, whatever blasphemies they utter But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit has never has forgiveness, but is eternal guilty of an eternal sin. This has been thrown around and I don't have time to fully let this carnation blossom before you Um, or camellia. My neighbor's camellia bush is starting to blossom. Uh, But this is not something that Christians are just going to sort of trip up and fall into. Okay, we're not just going to slip up and say, oh, I'm eternally damned now. But notice the context that we have adversaries and opponents of Jesus who are attributing to him and attributing to the works that he is accomplishing, saying Satan did that, not the Holy Spirit. And they do that to one, discredit Jesus and two to deny his lordship over them. And this is not simply a one time, one off event, but this is a pattern of behavior and of unbelief. And this is the warning. Not that you might stub your toe and end up in the, uh, you know, eternally damned for the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, but that if you perpetually attribute to Jesus and his works, a spirit that is anything other than the Holy Spirit, then it will, that denial will harden your heart to the point that you will never repent. And you will finally and utterly forsake Jesus. And that will be your own doing. If you deny Jesus long enough and you deny that he's the son of God anointed with the power of the Holy Spirit, accomplishing what he does in the Bible, coming back to return one day, that denial will harden your heart. It will be incremental and sometimes unseen. But if you simply want Jesus to be another man, another human teacher, or something worse, denying what he is doing here, anointed by the Holy Spirit who came upon him as a dove at his baptism, then that denial and disregard for Jesus and His Lordship will not only harden your heart, it will turn you away from Christ and you will die in your sins. An eternal sin worthy of eternal judgment. And I can tell you that that is not what you want. So if you have been running that road, stop. Stop stop denying Jesus. Stop trying to discredit Jesus. Rather say, he is the son of God, anointed with the Holy Spirit to do the works of God. And believe upon his name. You turn from him long enough, you run from him long enough, eventually he might just let you go. And the end of that cliff, cliff is hell. So he's either a lunatic, he's a liar, they say, or you have this small band. Verse 31, his mother and his brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent word to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him and they said to him, behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Answering them, he said, who are my mother and my brothers? Looking about at those who are sitting around him, he said, behold, my mother and my brothers, whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus is creating, has created and continues to grow a new community, a new community with new distinctions. And the distinction is, are you born again Do you believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus? Our primary, now carefully listen to me here. Our primary and eternal identity are as Jesus's people. Our primary and eternal distinction is that we, by grace, through faith, belong to Jesus. I'm not telling you, as some preachers I've heard say, that you should just leave your family behind if they don't believe in Jesus. But what you need to understand is that you will have an eternal home, not with people who share your bloodline, but with people who share in the blood of Jesus. Do you understand? So that there is an eternal reality about the family of God, that we who are bought by the blood of Christ, who have believed upon his name, we are now union connected to Jesus for eternity. And praise God for glorification, right? Right. Because there are plenty of Christians that don't get along. Denominations and movements that don't get along. People within churches who haven't gotten along. But what happens when we, who are in the context of the church together, we don't get along. Then we are, in essence and in practicality, denying the lordship of Jesus. And his rule over our lives. And the rule over our preferences. That's another sermon. Put in the back pocket. But Jesus is creating a new community, one that by by God's grace, these same who are coming and saying, get out of that house, you lunatic, his mother and his brothers. Some of them end up believing upon him. Think about Jude. Think about James. They believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus and they call him Lord, not just brother and obviously Mary. So what will you do with Jesus as you close out 2021? Be honest. Will you treat him as a lunatic? Saying he's simply just a madman. A very intriguing and magnetic madman. Or he's a liar. What he said, he is not. What he did, he did not. I'm going to disbelieve him. I must caution you again about those two options because they are one and the same. They are a discrediting and a rejection of Jesus. And if you reject Jesus, you reject the only name given among men by which we may be saved. Or is he Lord? Is he actually who he says he is? Did he do what he actually did? Is he doing what he's actually doing? If he's Lord, then you're a part of a new community with new allegiances, with a new path. Jesus is Lord above all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the depth of your word, for the beauty and the wonder of christ we thank you that he is our strong deliverer the one who is stronger than our adversary stronger than our sin stronger than our flesh he is stronger that we can take heart that in this world we will have tribulation we'll have trial but we can take heart because christ has overcome the world and we partake in your victory, Lord Jesus, by your grace and the power of your spirit. And I pray if there are some here who have living been living in that disregard <coughs> or denial or simply apathy toward you. That, Lord, that you would not allow that road to lead them to a hard heartedness that will never turn to you. That now, God, by your power, you would intervene and intercede and change that heart now would they come to know both the depth of their sin and the wonder that you have provided for in your own blood christ that you died for us that this is a trustworthy statement that christ jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom i am the foremost would they see that they can call upon jesus now That your spirit is able to deliver them now. That they can be born again now. To show a new path. Lord, I pray for those who are your children, who have believed upon you. Who have sat at your feet and they've heard your word. Would you nourish them and build them up in the faith. And strengthen them to live out their ultimate and highest allegiance to you in every area of their lives. That they would do the will of God in their church. That They would do the will of God in their home, in their neighborhood, in their workplace, in this community. To the ends of the earth, would we be a people saved by grace, empowered by the spirit to do the will of God in obedience. Would you bless this year coming up? 2021 has been hard and with moments of elation, we look to you for 2022 for the blessings and the joy you'll provide but we look to you for the way that you will keep your promises to never leave us or forsake us. Our lives are surrendered to you for your purposes, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.